Welcome to my brand new podcast, What the Midwife Said. My name is Leah Hazard. I'm a mother, author of the best-selling memoir, Hard Pushed, and The Midwife, in case you were wondering. And in this series, I'm going to be having honest conversations with some incredible guests to take a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and parenting. The first time round, it was... I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and mm. it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. I was in my towel, my towel fell down, I was putting her pyjamas on when my sister had a shower and she just latched and it was actually, on, it was actually onto my bad boobs. Oh, I'm so ready, I'm going to be a woman, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> and Jamie's like, calm down, and I'm like, no, but I'm ready. And my mum who said to me when I said no, she went, look, Lol, if they are offering you this, it means I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. I was ready to give up and her just saying, you know, you can do it, girl. I believe in you for all the confidence, all the power, all the strength. We're going to explore the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families and the highs and lows that those choices can bring. No judgment, no shame. Just what the midwife said. And I want you to join our conversation. If you have any questions or if you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media at Leah Hazard on Instagram or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag what the midwife said. My guest in this episode is athlete, adventurer, author, mischief maker and soon to be mother Anna McNuff. I'm already rejecting very frilly, pretty things that are completely impractical for children that are given to me. And I'm, I just look at it and go, she can't climb a tree in that. Oh my gosh, what a marvel. Like I am growing yeah. a human with no instruction. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What? One day I unfortunately was running along the road and I looked down and I was stood in a dead rabbit. Anna is just a little bit special. She cycled through every state in America solo and unsupported. She ran the length of New Zealand, cycled the length of the Andes, and most recently she ran the length of Britain, almost the equivalent of a hundred marathons, in her bare feet. She's written books about each of her major adventures, is a UK ambassador for girl guiding, and is currently gestating another undoubtedly superhuman due in December. Full disclosure, she's also my husband's second cousin, which makes me her second removed aunt-in-law? I don't know. In any case, she's pretty amazing. And here is Anna McNuff. I feel like when you ask a pregnant woman how she is on any given day, it's a loaded question. So should I even dare ask you, how are you today? You're so right. I always say to people, it's like being at altitude. You basically wake up every morning and it just could be a completely different ball game and you've just got to play it by ear. But yeah, do you know what though, Leah, today today and this week, I feel great. So oh, that is good. good. Yeah, that is really good. good. 
So, so I was I was ready for a sort of a long list of what we call minor ailments of pregnancy, which, as every pregnant woman knows, are actually major ailments like um, breathlessness, swelling, fatigue. But, but actually, no, today's a good day, so that's good. You know what? I'm getting all the glowy stuff. I'm getting the skin, oh. the the hair, the voluminous hairs going on, the strong nails. I'm I'm in that bit at the moment, so I'm loving it, which is a lot better than a few months ago. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're, I mean, I think I can fairly say, Anna, you're, you're a little bit extra, as the youngsters say, you're quite an extra person. So <laughs> has this pregnancy been a bit extra too? Has it been a bit of a roller coaster? <laughs> oh, it's been extra, extra. I tell you, yeah. to get down with the kids. Yeah, I think I was just in denial. I just, I just thought, oh, you know, I'll just crack on with life. And then a baby will appear. Um, and the nine months leading up to the baby appearing will just be sort of normal and I'll just push on through anything and that is not the way to deal with anything and you can't fight it and so I just I got a bit of a wake-up call after the first four months I think and I realized I had to actually adjust and recognize what was going on with my body and my lifestyle. Absolutely and I think that comes to everybody at some point in some way but especially for you because your whole sort of existence and your career if I can really say is all about you kind of pushing to your physical limits and having kind of mastery over your body to to an extent and the last time that we caught up I was trying to think the last time we actually caught up with each other was I think when you were passing through doing your barefoot run and we spoke a little bit about having a family and you were like super keen and you were talking about maybe having a baby and that that surprised me, I have to say, because I, you know, I know what you're all about and, and how active you've been. Yeah, no, I definitely always wanted to be a mum. I think uh, I know there are people that do feel that keenly and other people that don't. And I definitely, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be a mum when I grew up. So I knew it was on the cards and and the idea was always we'd get the sort of these big adventures out of our system and then go for it. So um, I'm just so grateful, you know, managed to happen quickly because I know that's not the case yeah. for a lot of people. And especially given what I'd done to my body the, the year before when you saw me having destroyed it, really. Yeah. And uh, so, oh, yeah, I, you know, it, in spite of how difficult I found the adjustment, I'm still so grateful. And we're super excited to be starting a family and terrified uh, at how life is going to change. But that is yes. life, isn't it? Yes, that is life indeed. And I mean... You, you talk about abusing your body last year doing this barefoot run, but it's just as well, or so I'm told, that you don't need to have good feet to conceive a child. So, you know, <laughs> it's a win. That is a win-win. They've recovered pretty well. But yeah, I'm glad that's not a prerequisite for giving birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For yourself and Jay, who is also a runner, yeah. I should say. So that's true. That is excellent. And so you so, so when was it in your pregnancy? Did you say it was sort of mid kind of second trimester that it all kind of became really real and you thought, oh, my body's kind of doing some new and strange things now? Yeah, I got off pretty lightly in the first trimester. I didn't have any sickness. I mean, no... Uh, no real nausea. The only thing that made me sick is if I didn't eat. So I had to eat in the mornings. But I felt like I got off really lightly with a bit of tiredness. Um, and I, I was still running and still doing a lot of the stuff that I would normally do exercise wise. And then I think it was as I went to the second trimester and things just started to get a bit uncomfortable. And it was the point where none of my clothes fitted anymore. And mm. I was in complete denial about that. And it sounds like such a simple thing. 
but it's just so it was I just found it really depressing to look at my whole wardrobe and go nothing in here that I can put on and feel comfortable and that I and I you know I feel like I'm confident I look good not that I'm too worried about looks but it's just a just a comfort thing and yeah. uh yeah that's when I had a little mini meltdown and just thought I can't run anymore I love running or you know I've made I've made mm. the decision to stop running um because it just it wasn't comfortable and mm. and I was just feeling I was feeling a bit trapped I was feeling a bit trapped and I found it quite um isolating in the sense that your partner is obviously trying to work out what is going on with this mythical bowl of hormones next to him mm-hmm. um but of course you know he he can't he can't do anything about it and it's um and so it, it, I did find it a bit a little bit lonely in the middle bit but um things have gone on the up since then which I think has helped that I've actually just embraced it got some maternity clothes just gone right I can do swimming I can do cycling I can do yoga and I'm just I'm loving it now oh I'm so glad to hear that and do you do you find that people are a bit judgy about fitness in pregnancy because I mean it's sort of a common cliche that your body becomes sort of public property when you're pregnant people like to go and touch your bump and comment on how big or small you are or how you're carrying this child have you had because so much of your um profile and identity is about being an athlete and being a runner and so on have you had a lot of sort of un unsolicited advice yeah how do you even know that Leah? of course yeah and I think that's (laughs) it's a a universal experience I think but especially if that's your whole thing yeah, I can yeah. imagine. And I, th- I think that's what I struggle with as well a little bit because when you, when I'm doing an adventure, I mean, I find this pregnancy very similar to doing a scary adventure because you're gearing yourself up for something and you've got all of these fears and they're little niggly fears and you're very sensitive to them. And so when I'm gearing up for an adventure, I deliberately avoid doing things like talking to my mum <laughs> too much. Um, and because, you know, sometimes things are said that really tug at those fears that you haven't quite yet worked out. Um, but I just find with pregnancy, of course, so many people have had had children and they've had their experiences. But that means there's a lot of horror stories out there and there's a lot of, oh, don't do this, do do that. And yeah, being a, in in the public eye on social media, it, the part and parcel of what I do is of course people are going to put their advice up there but I I find it quite or I did find it quite difficult because uh, it's a little bit out of my control you know the advice will come in and then trying to actually just keep myself focused and and pick and choose the bits you want to listen to um I found that quite difficult so I I just really shut down and picked a few sources um, a couple of women's health videos that I really trust a couple of books that have been recommended to me by those people and everything else I just don't listen because I'm thinking yeah. I need to actively seek out the kind of advice that I want but um, yeah absolutely yeah, fascinating as well yeah and I was listening this morning as part of my Anna McNuff day of Anna research um <laughs> slightly creepy but <laughs> yeah no it was great fun and um, I was listening to a podcast you did with uh, Jenny Falconer the run pod a while ago and oh, yeah. you were, yeah it was great and you were talking about um sort of uh, how you get yourself mentally in gear at the start of a big adventure and your top tip to yourself or to other people was don't overthink it and I thought okay that's great advice but if there was ever a topic or a process to be overthought it is being pregnant um, yeah 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 and I you're so right as well and I and and that it is different about pregnancy because quite often it going into an adventure I will do the minimum amount of prep possible to the point where yeah. I feel safe 
Um, and then I'll start and I will work it out along the way, which I guess is what motherhood's going to be like. But I don't, the more I've gone on, the more I've realized you can't do that with birth because, uh, and I feel like you have to do a certain level of research and reading to work out what you want and to make an informed decision. Yeah. So you can't just stick your head in the sand and think, oh, well, there's going to be a baby arrive. Um, because it does, for me anyway, it, has, it just leads to a level of nervousness. And so it's different in that sense that you do have to think, but I think it's about choosing where you want to take your advice from. Um, yeah, I love it. I love that you listen to that. Yeah, I should, I, I should just ignore my own <laughs> advice on this occasion. <laughs> God, it's so hard though. I mean, me personally, I'm like a huge overthinker and I know that it's the worst possible thing to do when you're about to tackle a big endeavour like a work project or an adventure or pregnancy um, but so so hard to protect your own headspace and I think as well in this age of social media especially for somebody who is very prominent on social media it's very difficult but even more important to protect that headspace and kind of keep yourself good and keep yourself on the right path um, absolutely it is it's the classic like don't think about the pink elephant and then all you can think about is the pink <laughs> elephant yes <laughs> you know it's like yes. that's just think about don't think about the horror birth stories you know just so um yeah yeah, it's so hard. And also for you as well, you have been pregnant at a very strange time in the world uh, during this pandemic that our listeners might be aware of. Um, and so I would imagine for you, even the services you've been able to access have been different. I mean, have you even been able to have antenatal classes or preparation from uh, the NHS or what's what's that been like for you in terms of using the service? Yeah, it's been quite a strange, um, a strange journey. And the first thing that was really sad was that Jamie, my other half, he couldn't, he couldn't come into the first scan, which mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, this is, you know, we're never going to have our first kid again. It's never gonna be as exciting. So that was, I found that really sad. Um, he was allowed into the second one, which is great. But then, I mean, I didn't actually meet my midwife, my, the one that's going to see me through to birth until I was till week 28. So, yeah. um, so, um, you know, cause there was so much going on and, um, and yeah, my antenatal classes are going to be virtual. So it's a, it's a, a different time. And I think there, there probably is a tendency to feel a little bit more disconnected from what's going on because of that. But equally, I think going through the first three months while everyone was in lockdown was great because I could just chill out and there was no social expectations. There were mm. very few work expectations. So it had pluses and minuses, I think, getting pregnant at this time. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, if if you're in lockdown, you don't have to explain to people why you're not having a drink on a night out or why you don't feel like doing a certain engagement and things like that. But um, yeah, yeah. You likewise, just... as, yeah, as you said, about isolating maybe at times as well. Yeah, yeah. But I did enjoy indulging my introvert for a fair few months. That's quite nice. You, you have an introvert? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I'm, I, this is this crazy thing. I'm like a, I, I'm like a child, at, um, you know, like a three-year-old at a party where there's too many party <laughs> rings and too much sugar. When I see people and talk to people, I just get so excited, but then I just burn out really quickly. So yeah, um, yeah I need the chill time. Yeah, chill time is definitely good. And so... So what you said you you had a few sort of books and resources that you have found quite helpful. Um, can, can you talk about some of them, or is there a certain thing that sort yeah. of just made the penny drop for you that you thought, oh wow, okay, this is the wavelength I'm on? Yeah, there were a couple of things. Um, I've got a friend called um, Baz Moffitt who's all about um, core strength and women's health, and I've watched her talk for a number of years about um, you know pelvic floor issues and and. And trying to empower women to feel more in control and, and also like we can talk about it 
Um, and so she's been really helpful because uh, I used to row with her. I used to be a GB rower and she was a GB rower. So you kind of get that she's someone who's very matter of fact about things, but also very confident in the ability of women's bodies. And she, I've talked to her a lot and she also directed me to um, a women's health clinic so I went and had a pregnancy MOT which I just now as a midwife that fascinates me so what does that involve right basically all it was was them um and I don't know what your opinion of this is as a midwife but it was them checking out the strength of my pelvic floor and so that I could make a more informed birth decision and keep I guess just know where I'm at basically know what I'm dealing with um, right. This this is interesting. We need to slow this down a minute, Anna, because I have so many <laughs> questions. So <laughs> that's not fascinating because normally, just as a kind of bog standard NHS midwife, um, we talk about pelvic floor, but we don't actually do an individualized assessment in pregnancy. And the closest thing I've ever seen to that, and you can tell me if this is anything like what you've had, Yes. is when I was a student, I had a one-day placement in what's called the Eurodynamic Clinic. Ooh. Is, yes, ooh, that was exactly what I thought. And what it involved was basically it was an assessment for women. It was mainly older women at the time, I have to say, who had had issues with continence, um, either urinary or fecal or both at times. And there were various shall we say, gadgets and technologies and tests used to assess actually how good their pelvic floor strength was. It involved elements of gripping and squeezing and clenching. Um, and I don't want to put our listeners off too much, but it was it was quite an eye-opener. So was that anything like what you had? This was very low tech. This was a woman and, you know, her hands and that was it really. And okay. it was very low tech. But she, um, again, she had her whole physio background had been geared towards the pelvic floor and that area of your body. Mm-hmm. So she was just, I guess, uh, she was looking at uh, looking and testing the strength of my pelvic floor with her hands. Yeah. But also checking that when I'm doing it, to prepare me to do pelvic floor exercises that I'm not doing things like clenching my stomach muscles when I should be, you know, engaging my pelvic floor. So okay. it was sort of uh-huh. an education as well. Um, and I guess it, it was just all about preventative stuff, trying to prepare me as much as possible and try and get it in the best shape. And she also talked a lot about, um, um, mat, like perennial massage for is that the right word have I just used the right word like your, I, I word? love that you've just called it perennial massage is it per, what is it perineum <laughs> so I think it's perineal massage but perineal. I like perennial massage because that sounds like <laughs> massage you do every year or maybe all the time <laughs> yeah perennial I've got American <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Perianual massage. Oh so, my God, okay. let's go in for it. Let's yeah, go in so- for it. I think we need to step back, just explain to the listeners for a minute who may not know what we're talking about. So listeners, my friends, um, ladies, you have this area of your body called your perineum. It's part of your pelvic floor and it's sort of between your um, your vagina and your anus. So your front bottom and your back bottom. And it has all kinds of interesting muscles in it. Uh, that are quite important for holding in your wee and just generally being healthy in that area and um, sexual health. And sometimes when you have a baby, um, sometimes that area can be damaged when baby is on the way out. And uh, sometimes also that area can be weakened by, for example, um, prolonged pushing or forceps delivery. 
So yeah, so this is why we're we're talking about this. And perineal massage um, is a technique that some people recommend uh, in theory to do in pregnancy um, to just loosen and kind of soften that area and to enable to stretch more easily at the moment of birth. So, So this is what you've been involved in, I'm guessing. I'm so glad that you know what you're talking about, Leah. Well, I try. I try. You're translating from my gobbledygook. Yeah, that was basically it. But I just thought it was wonderful that at that point, I think I was about 20 weeks at that point, that I could go in and have that. I mean, I paid for it. It was private. But you go and have that one-to-one and you just feel like you can chat openly to someone about all these things that seem so mysterious. Um and and yeah so so I did I did that which just got me off to a great start and I think it was yeah it just gave me a bit more of level of confidence of um trusting my body and all of that and then the book that I am in love with um which uh is quite a it's a very holistic book it's not very medical based and it's called how to have a baby by Natalie Meddings it it basically the idea of it is we know how to have a baby but we've sort of forgotten over the years uh through you know um and actually it's a very natural thing and so the book is based on the idea that our bodies are designed to have children it's about letting our body do what it knows how to do and not getting in the way of it um so but it's it's got everything in there from preparing for the birth around the birth and then afterwards as well and um yeah as someone who has spent a lot of time getting to know my body and pushing it I just if it suits me and the way I um, I guess I, I could feel more confident going into birth, which is that I've got this, I know my body best and I will take advice from professionals, absolutely. But um, I've got to trust myself and believe that it's going to be a good experience and an amazing experience. And yeah. anything else, we'll deal with it. Yeah. And I think you're so right. It's so important for every woman in her own individual way to find a kind of birth philosophy that fits with who she is already. So obviously for you, you're already very in tune with your body and kind of pushing it to its limits. But also you want to look after things that matter to you, like your pelvic floor, which will enable you to be an athlete potentially in the future. And um, so that's really good that you've been able to sort of cherry pick the the philosophies and the resources that work for who you already are. Yeah. And then that's it. It's a different thing for every, for everyone. And that's why, you know, you mentioned earlier about judgment and I just think there's just, there should be no judgment, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, however you want to have your baby, however you want to approach both sides of being pregnant after being pregnant. I just think we should just be allowed to do what we want and there's no right or wrong way. Um, It's just the way you feel most comfortable. So that's what I'm gunning for. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And you must, I mean, we were talking about judgment and unsolicited advice about exercise. You must have um, had lots of unsolicited advice about what to do during the birth, I imagine. Yes, I have. And I've ignored a lot of it. Good (laughs) for you. Yeah, why not? I just Just think, oh, just ignore it. Yeah. So um, I have, but then I've just come to it with the idea of, we're all so different so um, of course that's great that's your advice and and quite often it's very easy to see and it's the same with any kind of advice you know I think there's a wonderful quote from Elizabeth Gilbert um or advice that isn't asked for is is fear and quite often some of the advice is lovely but quite often it is it is one person's fears just being expressed rather than anything you're actually worried about so um, I think it does to bear that in mind as well but yeah I've ignored 90% of it (laughs) good for you 
that that yeah. would absolutely be my my recommended tactic as well. And when I was thinking about questions to ask you, I was thinking, right, so what other amazing women does Anna know who might be giving her advice? And you mentioned your mum, Sue. Hello, Sue. Yeah, uh, we love Sue. <laughs> A pretty phenomenal woman. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Anna's mum, Sue, was an Olympic athlete uh, as well. She was a rower and she is still an absolutely formidable, wonderful person. And I'm imagining that she's maybe given you some advice having had three children and being quite a powerhouse. Or, or have you yeah. just said to her mum, be quiet? Well, no. Do you know what's interesting is I've never asked my mum about her birth experiences or the childbirth process which I just think is crazy thinking about it now Mm. um and I think it's because you know it's just just this other world that you until you're in it 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 doesn't really you just you just don't even think about it and and also uh, kind of it's your mum and when you're growing up you just think yuck yeah (laughs) exactly well yeah I know and she had I was really she had a lot of difficulties with me I mean I think um I she nearly lost she lost me at, at three months so and and they think she miscarried a twin so she had a lot of um a lot of stress and she couldn't go further than a few miles from the hospital for the rest of the pregnancy wow. so I knew all of that but um yeah it was only a couple of weeks ago that I actually sat down and 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 she talked about how her birth's gone and, and things like that and yeah so that was a real eye-opener but I think the biggest thing I get from my mum is she just gets on with it. You know, she's very much like on we go, you know, and even after she'd had the kids, she'd be going out rowing and then stopping at the bank and breastfeeding the baby and getting off rowing again. Yes. So um, if anything, I probably need to dial down my mum's level of activity um, because she, I mean, she was running up until the day before giving birth and stuff like that. She said she was running like a duck. Wow. Um, but but I've decided that's not that's not what I want to do just because of how it's feeling. But um, yeah, so she is she is extra, 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 as the kids would say. And how do, how do you see, do you have a vision of sort of like how active you will be able to be after baby comes? I mean, obviously a lot depends on how the birth goes and how you're feeling. Um, do you see yourself still being an adventurer or, you know, I can always see you being active as a sort of broad term, but what what is your kind of vision for what lies ahead? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a complete unknown. So I, um, I will probably listen to this podcast in years time and just laugh at myself. But um, at the moment, I really feel like our, I mean, our lifestyle, of course, has got to change, but I don't feel that it needs to stop things in terms of traveling with a baby, especially when they're young, you know, I've got I've got the food attached to me, hopefully breastfeeding goes well. Um, and and so I don't I definitely think it's not going to be a okay stop we've got a baby now we have to be at home all the time and in one place um so I mean I don't know what's going to happen with the world as the months go on but the idea is to keep traveling keep adventuring and just do it in a way where the kids are involved or um they're at an age where one of us can go and do an adventure for a short period of time but they just they're going to become the priority but it's just going to be family adventures basically so um I guess our activity will just have to be adjusted down a level you know it's all very well and good us wanting to hike yeah. the mountains but if the kids aren't happy then that's not going to fly so um yeah it's yeah and I noticed I noticed you're saying kids plural oh yeah I'm already doing it aren't I <laughs> you're really yeah. Yeah. fast forward there are you thinking oh, yeah. I mean you're so you're one of three and your partner Jay is 
He's one of two. He's got two, well, he's got a half brother. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I'd so, are you thinking three. Big Brood or? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'd always said I wanted three, um, but having gone through this pregnancy, I might be done at two. If we can get two, I might, <laughs> might stop there. But we'll see. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think. I think it's just going to have to be. We'll see how we go. But I definitely would love a couple of kids at least. Um, just because I think that's really nice for them to kind of hang out with each other and grow up with all those memories together. And Yeah, I, th- I think that's a lovely idea. And as you know, I have two girls who you have met. And um, speaking of sort of plans for the future and, and trying to imagine this new reality with children, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, I was watching a vlog that you and Jamie had put online about finding out your baby's uh, sex. And um, not to really spoil it for any listeners who haven't seen this, but you're carrying a lovely little girl. And uh, one of the things that struck me when I was watching this video was that when you found out you were having a girl at the scan, your immediate reaction was, oh, I feel all this pressure now. And I think you said something like, I feel like I need to be a role model and I need to show her she can be strong and amazing. And as a mother of two girls, that really resonated with me as well, Anna, because um, when I was pregnant the first time, uh, I didn't find out the sex, but I think I just kind of thought all the way through it'd be easier to have a boy. And I, I don't know why. I don't know whether it's because I thought like just boys just automatically love their mums or um, a, a mother's relationship with a girl is more complex. But I found it really interesting that you you felt that as well. That was like a really strong gut reaction. Yeah. And of course, you know, we, it's a complete stereotype. But I, I thought exactly the same thing, Leah. I thought boys are easy. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not except when they get to being a teenager. I, can't, I mean, that's just all awkward and um, and everything else. But but um, I, I don't I just had it in my head. I was like, boys are just, you know, this is, again, complete stereotypes here. But, you know, mm-hmm. I thought, well, they, they may be they may be less, you know, slightly emotionally sensitive. They'll probably just get on with it. You know, they won't worry so much. Whereas girls there's I mean there's going to be the mind games when they're teenagers and all of that going on yes and all the tantrums and tampax um but also yeah the the I think the wave of pressure was just and I was trying to explain it to Jamie um saying he was like why are you feeling so pressured and I just said because you absorb so much from you know if you're a boy you absorb so much from your dad if you're a girl you absorb so much of how to be a a woman from your mum and it's Mm -hmm. done without even there's not conversation about it. You just, you, you model yourself on your mum a huge amount, I think. And I, I have done. And so just, I think that feeling of, oh my goodness, if this is a girl, her prime example of what it means to be a woman is me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But those of us on the outside looking in are going, what a lucky girl to have a mum like you. But having been, you know, in your shoes as an expectant mum, I totally get it because you think, I am not equipped for this. This is far too complex. Yeah, and you know, it, there's there's one thing you present to the public world, which isn't isn't a lie, but there are very private insecurities you have that come out naturally in your everyday life. You know, things you aren't necessarily confident about, and they, those are the things that if you're in the home and someone's around you all the time, you know, your partner knows about them. Um, but but those are the things where you know like yeah I have to still power post sometimes before I send an email asking for a fee for a piece of work I'm going to do oh god yes and you know things like that you think yeah when I have a young girl watching me go through a process where I'm not valuing myself 
Like I've really got to mm-hmm. step that up because mm-hmm. I don't want that behavior to kind of repeat. So it's just those things that don't get seen. And then I just, all of that hit me and I went, Oh my gosh. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited now. I feel like I'm going to rise to the challenge as well. <laughs> yeah. I think you will. I'm absolutely sure you will. I can't wait to see what she's like. And I think as well as a woman, um, being the mother of a girl is so enriching in all kinds of really surprising ways for exactly those reasons. I mean, like you, you know, I've I've tried to enforce to my girls from day one, you can do anything you want, you can say anything you like, your voice is important. But there are times in my life when I've thought, nobody really needs to know what I have to say. My voice is not important. I should just sit down and be quiet. But it's not until you have another young woman looking back at you that you then go, oh, okay, I guess I should kind of take my own advice and put my money where my mouth is. And and it does yeah. prompt you to be strong and raise your voice and um, be confident in ways that, that you might not have done otherwise. So I'm, I'm sure it will be the best adventure for you. And also uh, lots of unicorn pants and clothes, I think, because you are famous for wearing uh, very sparkly uh, and flamboyant unicorn leggings and llama onesies. So, so we can expect lots of that. The whole shebang, the whole shebang. Although well, we had this conversation when, when we found out it was a girl and... and and Jamie said something like, well, of course, it's going to um, it's going to affect it's going to affect the way we treat knowing the sex is going to affect the way we treat them and 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 the sort of the clothes we buy them. And I actually said, no, I'm like, you know, you've got to have a good mix of everything. Like I definitely want, you know, robots and T-Rexes and all the stuff that people would stereotypically say is boyish, you know, all of it for girls. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm already rejecting it. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, they're getting passed along if, if they're given to me, but very frilly, pretty things that are completely impractical for children that are given to me. And I I'm, I'm just look at it and go, she can't climb a tree in that. So that's going out. <laughs> yeah, well, um, spoiler alert, Anna, but you probably will go through a phase at some point where all she wants to wear is pink and frilly. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it happens for the best of us. I'm up for that. I'm it's a choice. It's great. a choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, for somebody who isn't a mum yet, you've had loads of experience with talking to girls and young women uh, in your adventures. You are a UK girl guiding ambassador. Is that correct? I am indeed. Yeah, it's a proud role and um, and I love it. And it has given me a real in- insight to the next generation who are mm. fierce, fierce feminists coming up. I'm loving it. I, I am loving it as well. It's it's a formidable force to be reckoned with. And you, in the course of uh, running all around the country and doing your work, have spoken to loads and loads of groups of guides. What's the, what's the collective noun for a guide group? Is it a troop, a pack? <laughs> I, I want to say a gaggle, but I don't think that's right. Gaggle. A unit. They're a unit. A unit. I like that. They Sounds strong. Yeah, it and does, doesn't it? In your travels and in your speaking to lots of these girls and young women, what do you think we need to teach them about what their bodies can do? I mean, how have they responded to you and what you've been doing? Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, realising that we're all different. And the point I try and make if I go in and talk to girls about adventure, it's much more about adventure is my vehicle for this. But what I'm trying to do is come up with an idea that really terrifies me but also excites me and just go through with it even though I'm terrified and in my case that is adventure and that is pushing your body but that might be something to do with maths or science or technology you know whatever you're Mm -hmm. into 
And I think the more you chat to a, a, a group of girls, a unit, as we're calling them, the yeah. more you realise how just wonderfully different they are and quirky. And yeah. and I think that's what I liked about going into a place like Girl Guiding, but, but a, an organisation that's outside of school where these girls feel like they can just be themselves. And so I'm really just, I was trying to enforce that, you know, reinforce that message with them and just say, whatever you're into, you know, if it's like, yeah, if it's history, if it's science, whatever it is that gets you excited and, and gets you passionate and fired up, then just don't let anyone else tell you, you you shouldn't be doing that. There's no right or wrong. You know, if you love it, go for it. So yeah, I think that's it. It's the diversity really I've seen. And, and, um, and they ask just, they just ask the best questions as well. They've got no filter, you know. Okay. About, so, so, right. Just... So you've opened a door here, Anna. I mean, so what are some of the craziest questions or funniest questions you've been asked? Well, they just say things like they just they all just well they want to talk about poo all the time. They just oh god yes. Like, where do you, where do you go to the toilet when you're running? And I say, well, I just have a wild wee, and their faces. <gasps> <gasps> and I say, oh, I love a wild wee, and um and then they're like, what about poos? And you talk about poos and where you take your poos and burying your poo and all of that. Um and then of course and then they're fascinated of course because I was running around in bare feet a lot. You know what's the worst thing you've ever stepped in? Oh, have you started stood in dog poo? And I go, yeah, of course I stood in loads dog poo it's a bit sticky but no big deal and their yeah. faces oh it's just classic but um I do have a story that I tell them about one day I unfortunately was running along the road and I looked down and I was stood in a dead rabbit and oh, I mean it was just wow. yeah horrendous but that really gets them um and so yeah but they've just got no filter and I love that as well they've also got no there's up until a certain point, I think until they're teenagers, there's a very mm. there's not much of a cap on what they think they can do. So you ask them about what adventure they'd like to do, and they go, "Yeah, I'm going to go and rollerblade through Greece and meet polar bears." And I'm thinking, actually, not any polar bears in Greece. But, <laughs> but if that's what you want to do, you go for it. Yeah. So what happens then when when they become teenagers? Because, I mean, you, you're seeing them at that stage, say, kind of prepubescent or teenagers or whatever you want to call it where yeah. they're full of fun and dynamic and they're unembarrassable and then I'm seeing them in another phase of their life when they're say of childbearing age yeah. and suddenly so many of the women that I see are very embarrassed about their bodies uh, are apologizing for things that their bodies are doing which are completely normal um are very worried about physical exertion and in many cases really quite out of touch with um what they can do and what they're capable of so what's going on in that middle bit yeah and I mean obviously you've seen it all firsthand and and I only get it in glimpses but it does seem that up until a certain age uh, a girl doesn't see her her body in any particular way other than a thing to run around in and have fun yeah. And then as it as it starts to change, I think they become aware of what they believe is normal and acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that is obviously shaped by, you know, what they what they see in the media, what their how their mum behaves, how their peers behave. And so I think they get to this level of comparison and that's where the embarrassment comes from because they 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 used to not care and now they care, but they're not quite sure what's acceptable and what isn't when the fact is all of it's acceptable but they've not worked that one out yet because mm-hmm. they, you're trying to and it's yeah such a precious stage isn't it because you're, mm-hmm. you're watching them trying to work out who they are as as a as a person and I mean I just think back to being 15 and 
God, it was just, it's just a roller coaster. Oh, it's a nightmare. I think it's just the worst time in a woman's life. I mean, I totally say to my own children and to anybody who will listen, being a 13-year-old girl, come on, nightmare start to finish. So confusing. I remember I just used to listen to, I don't know if you remember the band Skunk and Nancy. We used to run home from school, stomp (laughs) up the stairs, slam the door, turn all the lights on and play that and like blast volume and just cry. Oh, wow. I'm learning so much. You're you're very dark and introvert under all this exterior. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just so confusing, isn't it? It's just so confusing. So I think I think the main thing is if you can if you can find a way in that time to just to get through and say you're awesome like just keep going like trust yourself mm-hmm. you know if they can get that message then and they can come out the other side with that little bit of confidence then then that's what sets them up into adulthood I think and and my mum was very good at, at repeatedly do, giving me that message of just give it a go don't worry do what you like you know Mm-hmm. Don't worry if you've messed that thing up, we'll do the next thing better. That is, it's such good advice for life, for physical challenges, for birth. Just keep going. You're awesome. You can do it. And something I find really moving in my work, quite often when I'm looking after a woman in labour and she's kind of doubting herself or having a bit of a crisis of confidence, I say, you're, you're beautiful. Look at you. You're wonderful. You're fantastic. You're powerful and strong. And usually her first reaction is to sort of laugh nervously and say, no, I'm not. And then to kind of integrate that and take a deep breath. And and you can just see her actually becoming more powerful as she takes that message in. The human body and women's bodies, especially being pregnant, I've just gone oh my gosh, what a marvel. Like I am growing yeah. a human with no instruction. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Um, yeah, it just I happens. Just... I mean, you could be sleeping for nine months and it just happens. I know. And my body is just doing it. And I just think, what a wonderful, wonderful miracle. And yeah, how amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that... um I'm asking guests on this podcast is obviously the name of the podcast is what the midwife said. And that's just a nod to the fact that the things that we say to women really matter and they are remembered and they count. So I'm asking every guest if there's something that's been said to them by a midwife or maybe another healthcare professional that has really stuck with them, good or bad. So, you know, we've just love bombed each other about women's bodies but is there something (laughs) and so we should but is there something that's been said to you so far either by a midwife or somebody on your kind of pregnancy journey that you thought either wow that was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment or how very dare they that is completely (laughs) unreasonable it's really interesting you say this because I've only recently um, met the midwife that's going to be with me for the rest of the journey. Um, I've sort of already told myself this story in my head that um, when I share my birth plan or that, that she's going to roll her eyes and tell me absolutely not, which is ridiculous because she's been nothing but lovely. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I had a I had a few conversations early on with other midwives. And I think I think the best thing one of them said to me, she was really positive, really happy, really upbeat. And she said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, definitely nervous. And, and she just and she just said, you'll work it out. And I just thought, <laughs> like, so simple. And I just thought, yeah, do you know what? I will work it out. Like, that's that's it. I will work it out. I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I will absolutely work it out. So I've yeah. not had any greater word of wisdom than that yet. But, um, oh, but I am, um, I'm actually, we're getting a doula involved, Leah, which I, oh. I know is quite close to your heart. 
Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll just step in briefly. I want to hear all about it, but I'll explain again. So we're going to have a listening yeah. moment. <laughs> Tell everybody what that is. So uh, doula is um, just a kind of fancy name for somebody who is an emotional and practical support in pregnancy and birth. So it's just basically a cheerleader, somebody that doesn't have any clinical responsibility. So she's not examining you in labor or giving injections or anything like that. She's just there for sort of emotional and practical support. And it's something that I did for about six and a half years, I think, um, before I began my midwifery training. So that's really interesting, Anna. So how did this come about for you? Well, I mean, I'd, ne- I'd never heard of what one, what a doula was until um, you'd mentioned it all those years ago. And of course, at the time, I wasn't pregnant. So, you know, I just, uh, but so I, yeah, I, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I did think it was really interesting, because I'd never yeah. heard of it. And I thought, what a wonderful thing. You know, how nice is that? And then, so I was aware of that. And then when I start, the more I read about um, birth and the and the kind of books I was reading with the sort of holistic approach, and I just thought, I don't have, I've moved to Gloucester from London. I don't have a very close support network. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it's a lot of pressure to put on my other half to be all things to all people at the birth. Yes. And I just thought the way I'm feeling, you know, a few months in, the way I was feeling about the birth and all the decisions I was making I just thought I have a tendency in a pressured environment to try and be accommodating and to not be a bother. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was slightly concerned that I might agree to things that, um, you know, when I'm in pain and in the throes of it, that I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I I sort of just couldn't catch myself. And I just thought I really need someone else there to be strong for me and with me Mm -hmm. um, to just give me the confidence to say, no, this is what I want and this is how and and make me feel. I guess it's just like a for like I think it's going to make me feel more empowered and more comfortable. And yeah. so I feel like for me, it's just the right decisions. And how is Jay feeling? Is that he on board with that? Is he relieved oh, or? Yeah, relieved. I think so up for it. And yeah. this sounds a bit crazy, but so he he last year did a, a world record on a treadmill where he ran for seven days and ran like 523 miles or something ridiculous. And it, uh, we've we've drawn a lot of parallels between him doing that world record and my birth. Um, because not just the you know the sort of the levels of intense physical exertion involved but Mm -hmm. he in in that record there were at the start of the record he didn't have a lot of people in place he needed to support him in terms of keeping him on track with how many miles he's running and his nutrition and so I as his girlfriend was having to be all things so I was having to Mm. be good cop bad cop supportive loving all of that but at the same time try and keep him on track to break this world record and it just didn't work. It was just, you know, it, both of us got frustrated. I was upset because all I wanted to do was be there as his, his girlfriend, his partner. And yeah. I was having to do practical things. And so we just, we thought about that. And I and I thought, well, I think actually it'd be quite nice for you just to be, you know, the, the supportive bloke in the room yeah. and not be worried that I'm going to bite your head off because you're going to do something wrong or whatever. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of came out of that experience as well. That makes so much sense. And a lot of times, you know, guys or birth partners say to me, what should I be doing? I feel a bit useless. I feel like a spare part. I just say, really, all you have to do is just love her. But I mean, it's a double-edged sword, this notion now that we welcome and encourage partners into the birth space of course, it's wonderful because it's their child and they should be there if they want to be there. But the 
sharper edge of that sword is that we do expect them to be all things to all people and to know about all the different drugs and interventions and understand who this person is and what their role is. And it's a lot. It's really a lot. So I think very yeah. smart of you to kind of take that burden off Jamie a little bit if he yeah. is and on board with that. He's not great with detail. He's not great with detail. He's not. He'd be like, drugs or no drugs, whatever. I can't remember what she said. You know, yeah, he's, he's all about the big picture. But I think it sounds like you've got all bases covered. And I love what your midwife said about you'll just work it out. And it reminds me of um, a while ago, I had a friend who was pregnant uh, at the same time as I was with my second child. Uh, and we were talking about birth plans. And I said to her, what's your plan? I mean, what are you hoping will happen? And she said, well, I'm just going to open my legs and hope for the best. <laughs> I love that. I love so, it. Yeah. And she's so right. I mean, I'm a hundred percent on board with women having birth plans if that's what they want and making informed choices and knowing what their preferences are. But there's also a lot to be said for the whole, you'll work it out, hope for the best kind of school of thought. I mean, I could ask you a million more things. I want to know everything. I actually want to be there and deliver your baby, but I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would love that. You'll be there with me in spirit. I'll be I will. You just need to have me on speed dial. Just let me know when you have the first contraction. And I'm yeah. thinking Scotland to Gloucester. What is that, like a 10-hour drive? You know, it could oh, happen. Yeah. But I have a feeling you'll be one of these people that just sneezes and there's a baby. So we'll see. <laughs> Oh, here's hoping, here's hoping, but I'm prepared for all the other stuff as well. So we'll we'll see. But I am excited. I'm really excited. And I actually get I have to I have to read the book that I'm reading in chunks because I just get too psyched up. I'm like, oh, I'm so ready. I'm gonna be a woman. I'm gonna have a baby. <laughs> and Jamie's like, calm down. I'm like, no, but I'm ready. Anna, thank you so much. And will you come back on when time permits in the new year and you have to tell us how it all went? I would love to come back on and laugh at how naive I've been in this one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have a debrief and you can tell me whether your uh, perennial massage made any difference. Oh, yes. I'll give you a full report on that one. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Anna. That's fantastic. Cheers, Mia. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode of What the Midwife Said featuring Anna McNuff. Please do get in touch if you have anything to say about what we've been chatting about and tune in next week.